fear the talking queers. Now that we're all here, the party can begin. Good evening, bitch. <laughs> Good evening. Bitch. Oh. <laughs> a musical. Yes, I'm gonna serenade you. Oh tonight. my god. <laughs> I, yes, the smooth vocal stylings of one Jake Signs. Ooh, yes. So well, now that you already know who I am, why don't you reintroduce yourself? I'm Gwen Stefani. No. <laughs> no, I'm Frankie. I'm Frankie. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And we are Fear the Talking Queers. Welcome to the show. It's showtime. Oh my yeah. God. I'm so excited for today's episode. So just like we did last week, we're going to spin a wheel to find out what our intro topic is. Um, this is our treat wheel. We're doing our trick or treat. That's our theme for October. Clever, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. So let's spin the treat wheel and see what we'll be talking about in today's intro. Yeah, spin it, bitch. Ooh. Oh, God, what is it? Today we are going to pick some Halloween cocktail recipes. You just said my favorite word. Cock. Yeah, <laughs> recipes, you nasty. Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, do you have any like spooky, fun Halloween cocktails that you can come up with? Let's pick two. Ooh. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So for my first one, because I just love a good apple drink during the fall. So this one is called Poison Apple. Take a bite. And I got Ooh. this from uh, threeolivesbranch.com. Yeah, And um, it looks so tasty. I'm for mm. sure going to try this out. Um, so for the ingredients, uh, you just have like half an ounce of cinnamon schnapps. We love Miss Schnapps. Oh, okay. Miss Cinnamon Schnapps. Yeah, so that's about like a tablespoon, right? And then you, um, I don't know where you can find this, but you want like black food gel or food coloring I guess you know for the aesthetic you want it to look spooky right right exactly right right of course of course and then so uh, then you add two ounces of white rums mm. and um, then you put an ounce of apple schnapps there's a lot of schnapps in here Ooh. and then you add a half an ounce of lime juice put it in a little shaker or a tall mm. glass and you, and you shake 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 and then you pour the rum mixture into your serving glass but it's really cute because if you do get that black food gel and like because like the cocktail kind of has this like green color and you like put the like the black food gel or the food coloring in it it has this kind of cute like black and green swirl so very poison apple um super cute yes that is so cute so I have one, and I made it just for you. Yeah, you actually made your cocktails today. You went above and beyond. I did. You know, over here at Fear the Tongue Queers, we pretend that we're on the spot, but no, we prepared for this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I oh my made... God. I put together a drink because I asked you earlier this week what your favorite cocktail is, and one of them that you mentioned was a whiskey sour, which I absolutely love yes. as well. So, so good. I made a whiskey sour and I'm calling it 
Jake's Blood. Ooh, okay. Right? I love okay. It. So, in this one, you're going to take like a chilled martini or coupe glass, or you can serve it over ice if you like your drinks a little more diluted. I rimmed the edge with black sugar. So, basically. Did you say rimmed? <laughs> I rimmed a butthole. No. I, <laughs> I basically just got a bunch of food coloring and put it in lemon juice and then I rimmed the glass and then I put it in the sugar and then the sugar absorbed the color and it turned black. I took two ounces of whiskey. I used bourbon for Rose's bourbon. Oh my God. Three quarters of lemon juice, three quarters of pomegranate juice and a half ounce of grenadine syrup. I shook it all up with some ice. I strained it into my prepared glass. And this is what I got. This is your drink. Oh my God. That's my blood. This is your blood. So let me see how it tastes. I love it. How is it? I'm nervous. It tastes like a whiskey sour. Great. But it has like a little bit of like that pomegranate in there. So it's more fallish. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that looks like a a really refreshing fall cocktail. Oh my God. It's really good. Your blood tastes sweet. Ooh, it's so sweet and thick. Give me another one. <laughs> All right. So um, my next choice, this is, I actually found this on cosmopolitan.com. Ooh. Um, <laughs> ooh. And um, actually, this looks really delicious. Um, and I'm going to give a couple alternatives to it because all, you know, as much as I love a white Russian, um, I'm vegan. So there are, you know, there are complications when it comes to this, but we can make it work. So you mix one teaspoon of pumpkin pie spice. <laughs> It's like a spice you can buy literally at the store. I have it in my cupboard right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You get a a tablespoon. Jesus Christ, what is wrong with me? A tablecloth. (laughs) (laughs) You get a tablecloth full of sugar. (laughs) So you get one teaspoon of sugar. And then you get three tablespoons of finely crushed graham crackers on a shallow plate. So then you rim the glass, oh right? God. And you dip it into the graham mixture, right? And you have like a graham cracker crust on your glass. Yummy. And then from there, you uh, you pour two shots of vodka and then pumpkin spice creamer, which um, you can usually find in the holiday section if you go to a Trader Joe's or you, probably just your local supermarket has some sort of pumpkin, pumpkin spice, spice creamer. Absolutely. I think... I actually think Starbucks has a non-dairy version of pumpkin spice creamer. Um, I've never seen it in the store, but I did see you can get it online. So there you go. Or at a Whole Foods, I'm sure, somewhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then um, you pour in an uh, an ounce and a half of Kahlua. If you are vegan, um, there's actually a a brand called Mr. Black, which is like a vegan um, non-dairy coffee liqueur, which is really great. Um, and then you you put it into a shaker filled with ice. You shake it until it's all combined and cold. And then you pour the cocktail into a glass. And you top it with some whipped cream. And you pour a little bit more pumpkin spice on top. And oh, yummy. Yes. Doesn't it just sound so tasty? It's like pumpkin pie in a glass. It sounds so tasty and cozy. It makes you want to grab a blanket and get fucking wasted. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, pumpkin. So my next one is a twist on my favorite cocktail, a margarita. And this Mm. time I'm calling it Frankie's Blood. So you can drink Jake's Blood on Halloween or you can drink my blood and you can drink it all October long. 
So this one, same idea. You get a chilled martini or coupe glass, or you can serve it over ice again. Um, But instead of rimming it with sugar, I rimmed it with salt. And this time I didn't Mm. use black food coloring. I used red food coloring to get like a, you know, just to mix it up, to differentiate between the two of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this one, I got... Uh, like seven to ten blackberries five or so mint leaves and I muddled them and then I added two ounces of tequila silver tequila I used Milagro silver tequila three quarter ounces of lemon juice because I don't really like limes in my margaritas I prefer lemon I prefer it sour oh okay but if you like less sour then use some limes um, and then I got a half ounce of triple sec and then I shook it all up in ice and I served it in my prepared glass and this Oh my god! The cup of my blood. So, <laughs> let me <laughs> taste this one. That's a salt rim. Mm-hmm. It looks like tahini. You should put tahini next time. You know what? Either or. Yeah, tahini is already red. Mm. Refreshing that blackberry with mint. Yummy. Ooh, that sounds so good. I, and you created these cocktails. Yes, these are specific to oh Fear the Talking god. Queers. Cheers to us. Clink, clink. I know. Clink, clink, yes. Clink. Okay. So, in the Exorcist episode, we said that if you play our playlist with your wind blowing in the hair in your car, to send us a video of it, and we will give you a special sweet surprise. So, if you make either one of Jake's cocktails or my cocktails, and take a picture of yourself drinking it and tag us in it, send us a photo, then you will also get a sweet special surprise. Whoever does it first will get a sweet special surprise. Do we want to put these recipes on our website? Absolutely. We will totally do that. Yes. So you can go to fearthetalkingqueers.com and you can find these recipes and you can drink our blood all month long. Ooh, I can't wait for you to try it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, now that we are nice and liquored up, um, let's get into our movie this week. Oh my God. I bet you are so excited to do the time warp again because we are doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. So excited. Oh my gosh. I am like bursting out of my skin right now. I'm just so excited to do this movie. This is one of my all time favorites. This movie is like pure like comfort for me. Like I think of it and I think like, ugh, it's a cozy October night and I'm over here. And I don't know. It just brings up a lot of really great memories from yes. my past. So one of the exciting things about Rocky Horror for me was that one time I got to perform in it. I got to perform like a, a staged version of the musical. Yes. And I got to play the character of Brad. And so... And to this day, it's one of the happiest memories I've ever had. There's something about this show that is so magical to do and is just so fun. And, you know, the audience participates and it's just like, it's such good energy that I'll never forget it. So this movie and this show have a super special place in my heart. So I'm very excited to get into it today. Yes. The material of this show has been a safe haven for generations of queer people of people that just are you know the outcasts the weirdos um it it just provides that space for you to really find yourself and express yourself and i think that's why the whole like cult classic like when you hear that word that term cult classic this is for sure the the number one movie the first one you think of absolutely 
like oh rocky horror like this is a movie that was like you know critically panned when it came out and whatever but has gone on to have the most successful life of any movie maybe ever like yeah. this is the longest running movie in movie theaters in history it's amazing i have like some theories of my own about it so i'm really excited to talk about this one um so a little backstory it started off obviously as a musical a staged musical written by richard o'brien and um it was originally performed i think in london back in 1974 that's when um the or sorry 73 is when it premiered in london um and it also had uh, a life in la at the roxy theater the legendary roxy theater in la um and then from there which tim curry starred in i think both of these productions and then uh went on to be in the movie and so it had a life on stage but has had an even bigger life on screen so why don't we get into it absolutely let's jump in Yes, this is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, wait, before we get started, we have to spin our trick wheel. So if you remember anything from last week, our trick wheel is going to give us something that we have to do throughout the episode. And for each episode, we give a new set of rules and, you know, trials and tribulations. So let's spin the wheel and see what we have to do throughout our episode. Oh my, okay, this is perfect. So we're going to do a sing-along. So every time we mention (laughs) one of the songs in the movie, Jake is... (laughs) Just me? There's no way. I can help. Okay, fine. I'll I'll help out when needed. Okay, good. Um, (laughs) We are going to sing a little snippet of, (laughs) of each song when we mention it. So, oh my God, of course. I mean, this is what it's about, right? Community. Absolutely. Exactly. The power of this music is so strong. And we're going to bring it to you right to your car, headphones, whatever you're listening on. So get ready. Yeah. For the vocal stylings of Fear the Talking Queers. Oh my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. So here is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So... Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, released in 1975, directed by Jim Sharman, music and screenplay written by Richard O'Brien, based on his musical The Rocky Horror Show. Our movie begins with the iconic pair of red lips singing science fiction double feature, sung by Richard O'Brien, lip synced by Patricia Quinn. An homage to classic sci-fi films, which also serves as foreshadowing for the story ahead. Brad Majors, played by Barry Bostwick, and Janet Weiss, played by Susan Sarandon, are two normal, ordinary, healthy kids from the small town of Denton, Ohio, who fell in love during college. They're attending their friend's wedding, in which Brad is the best man and Janet is the maid of honor. As soon as the other guests leave, Brad asks Janet to marry him in the song, Damn It, Janet, and she accepts. Joyous, the couple decide to go tell their college professor, Dr. Scott, the good news. We then cut to the criminologist, played by Charles Gray, who explains that we're about to embark on a strange journey, following the misadventures of Brad and Janet. 
He mentions that despite the storm clouds gathering, the two decided to go for a long drive in the country anyway, even though their spare tire was badly in need of air. He claims that Brad and Janet will have a night to remember for a very long time. Ooh, okay, so we came across two songs. So before we go any further, we need a little snippet of Science Fiction Double Feature and Damn It, Janet. Science Fiction. Ooh, wow. Double Feature. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we did it. You got it. Yeah, perfect. You got it. Okay, now give us a little bit of Damn It, Janet. I have one thing to say, and that's damn it, Janet. I love you. The river was deep, but I swam it. Swam it. Oh. No, Janet. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Our movie begins with, like the synopsis said, those iconic red lips. Like, when you think of the Rocky Horror Picture Show... This is what you think of mostly is like the logo yes. with the big ass lips on it. And um, in the stage version of the show, um, the character of Magenta usually sings this song, right? right. So she's, but the the character is called the um, the Usherette. Yes. And uh, but for the movie, I, I don't know if they why they decided to switch it up, but they did. And uh, Richard O'Brien instead is, was going to sing the song, which kind of disappointed Patricia Quinn, who I guess Aww. wanted to sing the song. So they're like, "Well, do you know what? How about you lip sync it with your lips? You know, literally just your lips, like, and uh, to Richard O'Brien's voice." And so we kind of get this um, <laughs> really androgynous opening moment where it's sort of this like i mean he has a kind of a feminine voice i would say yeah it's a little high pitched little high pitched but you know it's a great great visual um for this moment and absolutely um, and i I think it's appropriate to have richard o'brien sing this opening you know this is his baby this is his creation so yeah why not start it off with his voice yeah, why not be the one to introduce it to the world? And the song obviously references all those classic oh, B-movies, sci-fis of the 1950s. So many. 30s, 50s, and 60s. Ooh, okay. So I have a, I, I have a list of ones that, that were mentioned in here. So we got uh, Michael Rennie was ill the day the earth stood still. That's um, the, the day, day the, the earth stood, stood still. still. Yeah. Uh, Flash, obviously Flash Gordon from 1936, The Invisible Man that's referenced. We have the Fay Ray King Kong reference. It came from outer space is one. Dr. X. Um, we talked about Anne Francis and Forbidden Planet. Tarantula. And then we have the Day of the Triffids. And then we have one right here, which was kind of a little more like you wouldn't get it at first, you know. Not as obvious. Um, not as obvious, yeah. So this is the uh, Dana Andrews said prunes gave him the runes. This is from a movie called Night of the Demon, um, oh. which is a yeah. There, like there's like uh, some sort of curse that gets put on you if you give somebody these like runes that are on this parchment paper, and like you have to give it away to curse somebody, but they can't know that you're giving it to them. And so that's like the conflict of the film is like giving. How do you give away this curse that you've been cursed with? back to the person who gave it to you without them knowing. Oh, and passing them took lots of skill. Yes! Oh, yes! Yes, I was like, oh my gosh! That's so good. And then we have um, this final one, which is When Worlds Collide, which stars George Powell. So yeah, a lot of really... (laughs) 
And it's Anna's bride. <laughs> um, but so a lot of really great references. Um, obviously, Richard O'Brien has a huge love of these like old, you know, sci-fi B movies and horror B movies from back in the day. But uh, one of the interesting things that I read about, I didn't think of this on my own, but um, was that there's actually no reference to a movie from the 1940s in it. Interesting. And that's because horror movies were almost completely extinct in exchange for war movies because of right. of the war and everything that was going on. I'm sure that the move the war movies from the forties were almost like considered horror movies oh. because it was giving like oh, absolutely. a horrific display of what was going on at the time. Another thing about this opening yeah. of these lips is that they were actually inspired by a painting. Oh so there's this painting as a very French name, so here I go. Uh <laughs> A la air de la Zervitoire Les Amoureux. <laughs> I love when you speak French. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but basically, yeah, it's like this really, it's um, from 1968 by an artist named Man Ray. And it's just like this picture of these really beautiful giant lips in the sky. And um, I guess they were inspired by this painting. Oh my God, that's crazy because The Exorcist also used a painting as a reference for their poster and that, that shot true. of the priest coming out of the taxi and approaching the McNeil house. Wow, we're running a theme here. I, I love that, you know, all of these references are happening in the opening because then once we get to Brad and Janet, we get very Americana, like the all-American oh, yeah. couple, you know, and the dialogue and the delivery feel very much of that era, like the 1950s. They represent like definitely like that naivete of like 50s America, right? Like they're clean cut and they're pure hearted and you know their little world revolves around what like their education they went to college and marriage and cooking dinner one of the funniest moments that I did while doing the show because you know you do the show and people are like yelling these callbacks at you right and which is really fun but also really hard sometimes to not laugh because people say some funny shit and I don't know why this one stuck out. It might not even be funny if I tell you, but I was all, I think Brad says, they're talking about Betty Monroe. Yeah. And he says, and she's a wonderful little cook. And somebody just yells, no, she's not. And I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why that one killed me. And I like struggled. Keep going. Keep my composure. Yeah. I don't know why that was really funny. I love this picture of the idyllic couple. Um, and then, you know, we, push that like um, all American thing one step further when we have like Richard O'Brien and, and Patricia Quinn as like these the American gothic couple yeah, like, in the they, background yeah. of this scene you know one of the things I find really interesting that starts my theory of what this movie is becoming to me is that we get this picture of Brad and Janet perfect little couple from the 50s you know it's sort of like the transition that America went through from the 50s up until this point in the 70s right yeah so it's the like sexual it, revolution man sexual revolution and just this freedom of expression that came about we'll get into it more but what the thing that's sticking out to me the most is the organization of a lot of the cults that came up in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And so I'll get more into it then, but I love that this starts with just the picture of innocence. 
innocence for sure. And like, damn it, Janet is 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 so fun and it's so lighthearted, like compared to the music and the rest of the show. It feels like Grease, like wholesome. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so Grease, right? Was he the he was the original Danny Zuko in Grease, right? Yes, yes, he was. I can totally see that. He's so cute. Definitely one of my sexual awakenings was Brad in this movie. Really? One hundred percent i was like he is so cute i don't know why i always thought he was so hot i really love damn it janet as it plays out because it's like them expressing their love for each other it's really innocent and cute but when you look in the background they're preparing for a funeral you know the way the church has shifted from a wedding to a funeral and they're like you know like all giddy and skipping through a graveyard and so i love the juxtaposition of that totally they're just like in their own little fantasy world their fantasy is coming true and no matter what goes on around them they maintain their innocence and we see that going forward especially in this next scene coming up where they are um you know driving in the rain but before we get to that we have the introduction of the criminologist as our as our like horror host which is obviously inspired by like the horror hosts back in the day like you know miss vampira and um i was also thinking i was like who else i was like oh like rod sterling from the twilight zone but but i kind of like this idea of having somebody explain this like bizarre little story as if it's a case that needs to be studied you know almost like it's (laughs) like it's almost like this like Area 51-esque type secret. Yeah, I love the interjection of the criminologist because when you watch the movie at first, it's nonsensical. Like you're almost like, oh, absolutely. what the hell did I just watch? What is going on? Upon repeat viewings and once you really get into it, become a part of it and, you know, really dive in, you get the message. But uh, as far as like a first time viewer or a one time viewer, the criminologist is definitely helpful in the storytelling. For sure. Yeah, he definitely drives the force along. And in the stage show, he's much, I want to say much more prevalent, but he is. He's like the master of ceremonies. So he has a lot of like interaction with the audience, especially with the callbacks and everything. Um, You really need like a really smart actor who's really good at improv to be able to bounce off things that people say because while a lot of people use the same callbacks, there's also like a lot of new ones. Like it's always shifting. It's always evolving. People think of new things to say and then it's sort of on whoever's playing the criminologist be able to come back or you know be witty it's a good part for sure um and i think it's fun how they incorporated it still into the movie from the stage show so good on them yes shall we move on let's do it brad and janet drive through heavy rain janet is starting to feel uneasy and a bunch of bikers keep passing them on the road and she suggests that they should turn back before something bad happens We hear a loud bang, and the car skids to a stop. Their tire has blown out, so Brad suggests he go to an old castle they passed along the way to call for help. Janet decides to go with him. As they walk through the rain, Janet tries to shield herself with a newspaper, telling herself through the song, there's a light over at the Frankenstein place, that no matter how bad things get, they will always get better. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. There's a light burning in the fireplace. So soon, the two arrive on the front doorstep of the castle. Brad knocks and the door is opened by Riffraff, played by Richard O'Brien, a tall, creepy butler in a black suit. Brad tries to be friendly, introducing himself and Janet and explaining that they need a phone. 
Riff Raff remains cold and stoic, but invites them in. They enter the foyer, which is outlandishly decorated with dark decor and random relics and curiosities. Riff Raff explains to Brad and Janet that they've arrived on a very special night as the master is having a party. Out of nowhere, the housemaid appears, Magenta, played by Patricia Quinn. Magneta. I'm just kidding. Magneta. <laughs> and as the clock strikes midnight, she and Riff Raff lead into the dance song, The Time Warp. The party has started. Hey. Brad and Janet are ushered into a great hall with a throne and a jukebox at its far end. Several conventionists of every size and description fill the hall, wearing tuxedos and party hats, ritually dancing and singing the time warp. During the song, we are introduced to another resident of the castle, the flashy tap-dancing Columbia, played by Little Nell. Yes, girl, Little Nell. Come on, Little Nell. (laughs) The criminologist interjects the song to explain the dance steps of the time warp dance. It's just a jump to the left. Dun, 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 dun. And, then and then a step to, to the right. Put your hand on your hips. Bum, 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 and bring your knees in tight. And it's, it's a pelvic, pelvic thrust that really drives you insane. Let's do the time warp again. Oh, yes. I love it. Oh, my God. This is so fun. So now we have, like, our heroes stuck in these, like, trying circumstances. Like, we went from, like, this, like, sunny, beautiful day where everything's optimistic and bright. And they're, like, in their own little fantasy world to, like... A dark, stormy night. Yeah. When they go to look for help, this is obviously an iconic image of Janet with the newspaper over her head, shielding herself from the rain. And this song... There's a Light over at the Frankenstein Place is one of my favorite songs in this musical. I just love it. Oh, it's one of the best songs in the show. And it doesn't really, like, move the story along, like, narratively by any means. But there's, like, this sense of, like, oncoming danger, like, in the music as, like, contrasted with these, like, hopeful, optimistic lyrics. Like, it has, like, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, which is, like, really, like, foreboding-sounding. Yeah. But then they're, like, there's a light. Like, they're, you know, they, yeah. they're almost, like, delusional to the point where they're, like, there's nothing that can happen to us two nice, wholesome kids, you know? We can go to this dark, spooky castle, and everything's <laughs> gonna work out just fine. You know what? And there's also this verse that always sort of, like, confused me. Like, Riff Raff's verse in it. I was like, what does this mean? I never understood what he was singing about. <laughs> the darkness must go down the river of night streaming. <laughs> um, but I was, so I was like, okay, I'm going to examine these lyrics. And I'm like, I think this is like Riff Raff singing about like shooting up morphine. Like the lyric is like cluing us in that for some, like the light at the end of the tunnel is like unreachable without substance. Like, you know, we have Brad and Janet who are like, we'll reach the light no matter what. And he's like saying this like flow morphia slow. Let the sun and light come streaming into my life. Yes. I don't know. It, it sounds like he's like using substances in order to bring in the sun and the light. And that, you know, the darkness yeah. is just, you know, it's bringing in like the river's bringing it in he's like praising morphia which is like an old term for morphine so i don't know i was like this is already sort of shifting this like 1950s perspective of clean cut straight edge life right to like you know people who recreationally use drugs absolutely they're like walking into this and they have no idea yes because also columbia references 
maybe a drug. Yeah. Or she could be talking about Eddie, but later on in her verse in Rose Tint My World, and the whole Rose Tint My World sort of thing, of course, you know, looking at life through rose-colored glasses, but at the same time, this also, that song could also be yeah. a reference to drugs. And I think that this is really interesting, and this is really where it kicks into high gear, what I'm thinking of this movie now, where it's like, okay, you have these kids from the 50s, and then they go into this sort of like transitional phase of the 60s. Because the 60s was a crazy time in America. Like you said, it was the sexual revolution. There was a lot of experimentation with drugs. The summer of love happened. The War, civil- Vietnam. Like- yes, the civil rights movement happened. The anti-war movements happened. The satanic church started. The Manson family was established. Yeah. Like, there was so much chaos going on in the 60s. And the result of that were sort of these organizations like the the, the evangelism of Christian churches, the cults that really mm-hmm. came out of it, and these organized things to kind of pull them, almost like pull people back into a rhythm. Yeah. From this chaos that ensued in the 60s. It seems like this is like an allegory for what was going on at the time with all of these cults, whether they be religious or whether they be this sort of transcendent, sort of like Manson family. Sort totally. Of thing. So obviously later on we find out that they're aliens, but this cultish thing, and it starts with coming to the castle doorsteps and meeting Riff Raff and Magenta and jumping into the time warp. Yeah, it's almost as if there's like some sort of like magnetic pool that was like pulling these, you know, otherwise I don't want to say normal, but you know, very moralistic youth, you know. And at some point they had to be drawn into the darkness it's almost as if this like castle has this like magnetic pool over them drawing them in like they're following the light almost like you know like a bug that like gets zapped you know they're like entranced it's like this yeah is, i think they are entranced throughout the whole thing but i feel like this is maybe when it really starts like there's like a absolutely bell over this castle grounds or something so then they get to the castle um songs over and they meet riffraff and immediately the sexual innuendos are are starting oh, and uh and they don't stop and they don't stop absolutely so one of my favorite ones is you know they're standing there they're like shivering from the rain and riff raff he looks at janet and he says you're wet <laughs> and she's like yes it's raining <laughs> but it's like we're obviously making a, a wet reference to something else and and obviously she doesn't get it and even just how they look like riff raff literally looks like a a creature out of a movie oh yeah igor or something right exactly these two groups of people couldn't look any different (laughs) like and i love the set design they couldn't have walked into anything more crazy it looks like um the set of elvira mistress of the dark or yeah you know that game 13 dead end drive oh yeah 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 i love that game this this i love this like you know mansion where there are all these layers curtains and yeah and skeletons and and the cobwebs. It's like the Adams Family house or like yes. the monsters live there or something. You just want to go in and explore everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's when we see Miss Magenta li- like literally like, I don't know, I'm like she's like taking a nap on the banister. She's like, <laughs> uh, she comes out of nowhere. And I always forget she's there. No matter yeah. how many times I watch this movie, I, it always surprises me when she just lifts up her head. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, totally. And so then we get into the most famous song from the show. Like, like a spooky season staple. 
with the time warp. Oh my god. I mean, this is this was part of your Halloween hits playlist for Fear the Talking Queen. Oh, yeah. It's iconic. Iconic, absolutely. And this song to me has always been about like enticing unsuspecting and like innocent people to experience like the fringe parts of life this like group of this like ensemble which in the show they're called phantoms like the sort of groupies that hang around the castle okay you know i feel like they i feel like they do represent a fringe group of people i mean like look our our, our two leads so far have been these two uh, very uh, i don't say average but like average looking white kids and then they go into this new place where they see people of all different colors and shapes and sizes there's little people there's big people in and they're all celebrating together it's almost like a like that bohemian ideal there are like more like fringe sort of references in here again that aren't part of that wholesome 1950s things that Jad and Brannett represent so there was like they, in the song they reference drinking like riffraffs versus like you know drinking those moments when there's like fantasizing they talk about voyeurism mm-hmm. and then like Columbia's verse is about like giving into this like sexual desire maybe like like free love you know if she like, sounds like she sort of banged like a, a truck driver you know <laughs> And it's like all of this is like centered around this like planetary folk dance. Yeah. Like in which everyone just like humps the air. Like it's like this idea like once you've experienced these things, there's like no going back. And it feels as if there's like been like a cosmic shift. Yes. You know, like when you do experience these things, when you go from this like sort of repressed life into, you know, experiencing like different people, different cultures, different whatever, you have a cosmic shift in your personal life, you know? And I think that it's punctuated with like the word again. Let's do the time warp again. Like, let's keep doing this. Let's keep celebrating. Yeah. It's almost like Pleasantville when they're black and white and then all of a sudden they start, you know, they start turning into color. I also was reading this article that said that the time warp and especially in the way that it's that it plays out like where you're getting the instructions on how to do it and how to do the dance that it almost serves at the same purpose as evangelism where you're teaching others how to join in on this ritual that a specific group of people have yeah so that you can be a part of it too and i think that this is really opening the door to the community of rocky horror picture show you know and like how to be a part of it and if you can do the time warp i mean this is your this is your movie this is your this is your community yeah that's so true it is inviting the audience in it's inviting them to be part of the experience and i don't even know if that was probably intentional but what they created since like and the fact that everybody knows how to do this dance is really remarkable and and it really stands the test of time because you you get to be part of that um that counterculture you get to you know we're inviting you into the party all of the commotion is too much for janet as she begs to leave Dr. Frankenfurter, played by Tim Curry, arrives in full drag. Janet screams and faints at the sight of him. Frankenfurter introduces himself through a song as a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. The partygoers are in awe of Frank as they admire and greet him. Brad asks him for help, explaining his plight, and Frankenfurter smirks and acknowledges that they stumbled upon the castle for a larger purpose. Frank then goes into an elevator and rises upstairs to the applause of the partygoers. 
Riff Raff and Magenta strip Brad and Janet down to their underwear. They are then taken to Frank's laboratory. Brad and Janet are led out to the center of an observing room where they are put on display by Dr. Frankenfurter, now wearing a lab coat and long surgical gloves. The party goers watch the event from the above balcony. Frankenfurter then walks over to a large box covered by tarp and throws off the covering to reveal a tank. He shouts for Magenta and Riff Raff to set the controls and start the machinery as the room darkens. Frank himself laughs maniacally as he turns knobs, dials, and wheels to allow a rainbow fluid to pour into the tank and a humanoid form appears slowly, skeleton first, much to Janet and Brad's terror. Carefully, Frankenfurter leads out the humanoid figure wrapped entirely in bandages and cuts them away to reveal a full-grown man with blonde hair, tan skin, and a muscular figure wearing only a skimpy golden bikini over his crotch. Frank christens him with the name Rocky, played by Peter Hinwood. Rocky is accidentally let loose. Frank chases him through the lab, lusting after him and crying his name as Rocky sings The Sword of Democles. Eventually, Frank catches Rocky and scolds him for misbehaving, but he forgives him and lays out his plan for Rocky in the song, I Can Make You a Man. Suddenly, the deep freeze machine malfunctions and opens. Columbia squeals, Eddie! A burly, heavyset biker named Eddie, played by Meatloaf, rides out on a motorcycle, dressed in black leather, singing about his former glory in Whatever Happened to Saturday Night slash Hot Patootie. The partygoers enjoy Eddie's rock and roll show, but Frank becomes wrathful that Eddie has become the center of attention. Frank takes out a pickaxe, chasing Eddie back into the deep freezer where Frank slaughters Eddie. Frank tries to pick things up by talking about how beautiful his rocky creation is in a reprise of I Can Make You a Man. Frank leads his new creation to a bedchamber in a wedding-style procession. Yeah, And that is the end of Act 1 in the show. <laughs> It's oh, so quick. okay. Yeah, quick movie, quick show, right to the point. So this is where we're introduced to Frankenfurter through a song called Sweet Transvestite, which we have to get a sample. Oh, uh, here we go. I'm just a sweet transvestite. Sweet transvestite. From transsexual Transylvania. Yes. So, okay, this is where I was like, okay, this is totally an allegory for cults because the 60s and 70s had a huge influx of cults um, from the Manson family to Satanic Church, the People's Temple, Children of God, Heaven's Gate. So, like, the rise of these things. Okay, so I read this article called Cults in America by, uh, it's on the Tennessee State University website. Ooh, okay. And basically, what you need to form a cult, essentially, is first, a charismatic leader, such as Dr. Frankenfurter. Uh, oh, uh, or <laughs> Fear the Talking Queers. <laughs> Fear the Talking Queers. <laughs> the Church of Fear the Talking Queers. Oh my god, the um, cult of Fear the Talking Queers. Yeah. And you need a transcendent belief system, which, I mean, look what's going on in this castle. Like, there's definitely a different set of beliefs in this castle. And then systems of influence and control. And as the film goes on, we definitely get 
these systems of influence and control where you literally can control the movements of the people inside of this castle and then most importantly you have to have an initiation into this cult um, Mm. by the leader and in this one it's done by sex which we see later happening to rocky brad and janet yeah so we have all the makings here to create a successful cult (laughs) what a cute reading i love that that's such a good idea yeah i mean I don't know why, like, I guess my mind never went to, like, oh, this is a cult movie, but for sure. Like, I mean, obviously a cult movie, but, like, a movie about cults. Um, yeah. But, I, but it is. It is, definitely. He's, like, cult this classic. charismatic <laughs> cult leader that all these people follow, and they come to watch him do his zany experiments. So, yeah, definitely. I think you're on the right track for sure. Tim Curry is just amazing in everything he's in. What an iconic character. And this is his first movie ever amazing this introduced us to you know this incredible actor who has given us nothing but iconic character after iconic character thank god for this opportunity because honestly he's probably made for me his most iconic in this this and home alone too i'm just kidding (laughs) exactly i think that this is a hit definitely his best performance i mean just the energy he brings the feminine and the masculine and the sexual energy oh it's so sexy it's so sexy which is so you know, like unexpected. I would never call Tim Curry sexy, but no. the, he exudes so much sexuality in this movie. You can't help but be like, oh my God, this, no wonder he has such this like sexual power over these people. I mean, he just oozes it. Yeah, the energy he brings into Sweet Transvestite is just unmatched. And like, so Sweet Transvestite, um, first of all, this has to be at this point the most shocking night of brad and janet's life <laughs> like, <laughs> like once he i mean if they weren't already like mind fucked before like i'm i've died i guess i don't know where i am i'm cold and i'm wet and, and i'm, I'm just, just plain, plain scared and especially for like the leader of this clan to, it, it is like this like cross dresser and um yeah, it, it just there's no way that this isn't the most outrageous thing that they've ever seen. <laughs> and um, so, like, Sweet Transvestite is a great, like, intro to our iconic character. Um, it's sort of like laying out who he is and, you know, where he's from, and as well as, like, facilitates the first interaction between him and Brad and Janet because they're like, Can I use your phone? And he's like, mm, You can just hang around, stay for a while. Also, I mean, he kind of gives away in the song that he's from an he's an alien. He's from another planet, transsexual Transylvania. I think we can discern that transsexual Transylvania isn't in Romania. Yeah, I I kind of I assumed, (laughs) but I did look it up. I'm like, where is this on the map? (laughs) (laughs) Where is it? This is a great song. The energy he brings to it is just so raw and you know throwing the water and the or the drink in the camera's face yeah there's like a couple of like moments of like breaking the fourth wall again this is like bringing the audience in this is like inciting participation like as a viewer of it of this movie you were part of the show yeah and you know and so like one of my favorite times he breaks the fourth wall is when he goes you look like you're both pretty groovy and he like looks at the camera and gives like a no like yeah. a totally lying face. And so then like, okay, so let's just address this real quick. Like in 2021, I don't think he would be considered a transvestite. Right. I think that he would be considered something like non-binary or like gender fluid. Sure. Cause he uses both sides of, right. you know, the masculinity and the femininity and just blends it all together into like a really nice blend. I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, 
And like maybe with like if we're adding sexuality into it, like maybe he's like pansexual. I just feel like in in the 1970s, like I feel like transvestite was like an all-encompassing word for things that we have a lot more verbiage for now. You know? Do they still use that word transvestite? Well, I think transvestite is some is somebody who dresses in the opposite gender's clothes for like sexual pleasure. But she probably has some of that in there too. But I think he also he also seems to live in it. So it feels more like more of that. It seems less like it's like a fetish as opposed to like who he, like he sort of lives in this in between. Yes. It's part of the identity. Uh, so now he'd be like, I'm a sweet, non-binary, gender fluid, pansexual. But I guess that doesn't roll off the tongue as well. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't <laughs> flow off the tongue as well. I don't really hear many complaints about the use no, of, no, no, these, no. of the words in this. Because, you know, this is again it's one of those it was a it created a space for queer people to identify and like figure themselves out so i don't sure. think that anyone's mad at this oh no 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 um so then now we have like frank and Furter. he doesn't just like let brad brad and janet go he seems to be like intrigued by them and thinks that they're there for like a higher purpose and so he invites them to their lab and immediately gets them fucking naked yes i think that he can't wait to just demolish what society has taught Brad and Janet. Absolutely. And he's, just corrupt them. <laughs> he is so intrigued by this idea of corrupting these two little innocent people. First by undressing them. Uh, okay. Yeah. So first I love Janet's reaction to them using a bloody rag to sort of dry her off. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked right to Mr. Brad's bulge. Oh my God. Yes. He's packing. But that underwear is ridiculous, but there is a nice little bulge in there. <laughs> I know. I wonder if they, I wonder if he's stuffed. I feel like, and it's so smooth. You know. I don't know. I kind of looked at it and I saw like some definition in there. Like I can kind of see where the balls start. <laughs> oh my god you're all paused zoom I know, you were just like the <laughs> 4k you're just like <laughs> you could see their like shame like immediately like they're obviously very modest it's almost like when adam and eve ate the apple oh yes i read a whole article about how they all represent like adam and eve that sh- Janet is Eve. I think Frankenfurt is a snake. I think Rocky is supposed to be Adam. Oh, okay. Rocky's Adam, and then the I don't creation, know if Brad's even in this in this allegory. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was really interesting, though, like to see that. Yeah, they, somebody said it was like the same thing, like, like corruption of innocence. Yeah. Well, I was reading too that this serves as a pop culture allegory for religion in itself, but you know, ultimately a cult. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so more on Frankenfurter. He brings him to this lab and just immediately starts like flirting with both of them and obviously making them very uncomfortable, but also a little excited. You could tell that sometimes Janet, she's like kind of into it. And Brad, you know, Brad's like, you know, Mr. Macho and protect his girl. But yeah, he sort yeah. of gets his hit the brunt of it too like he gets a little objectified and yeah he's a little uncomfortable he's more uncomfortable than janet like i you can tell she's kind of like easing into it but he's yeah. definitely like and this is totally like you know everything that we talk about as far as like gender norms and stereotypes and what right. you have to live up to and i can't speak for anybody's experience but like women always seem to be more receptive to people and whereas men are taught that they have to be this certain way 
and yeah. Yeah, de- Brad's definitely like playing into his gender role at this moment. It's probably because he's so out of his element in this place. Like he even like goes right up to Frank and like gives him his hand to shake. This big old shake. <laughs> yeah, and Frank's like, okay. Okay, so this is where we lean heavy into the inspiration behind Rocky Horror uh, with the, all these like sci-fi movies. Yeah. Because the rise of Rocky is definitely a huge inspiration from like Frankenstein. Totally. Mad scientists bringing something to life. It's all here. Um, that tank is actually from a different movie called The Curse of Frankenstein. They use the same exact prop and they just painted it red. <laughs> And then, oh. um, yeah, so like they were even using props from these old films wow. that they're referencing. Yeah, is that cute? Yes. What was it about 50 sci-fi and like mad scientists and lab creations? I mean, well, because it's a, it was like there was so much anxiety in that time about the advances in science. Okay. You know, like we always talk about how horror movies and sci-fi movies reflect, you know, the current fears of, of society, the world of society of what's going on. And at the time people were really concerned about how far we were taking science and where was, how much is too far and is technology going to take us over? You know, people had anxieties about that. And so that was reflected in the 1950s, sci-fi and horror films because that's what people were afraid of at the time wow oh and here right? we have a lot of pride symbolism like um on, oh my God, yeah. on the lab coat of frankenfurter there's the upside down pink triangle yes and especially for like frankenfurter to be like the leader of this cult like for yeah. the leader to be wearing that to like you know as if it's like a symbol of pride you know yes so, good point Absolutely. So then we have all these <laughs> colors dipping into this tank and it creates this big old gay pride flag almost. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's just a rainbow, a rainbow soup that Rocky comes out of. And um, he looks like a mummy. And um, <laughs> he comes out and he's unwrapped. The song sort of Democles starts. And to me, this is always like one of the weirdest songs in the show. Yeah, it is. But it's our int- introduction to Rocky. And um, the only way I sort of have ever seen it is like he's like obviously born with a lot of anxiety and just yeah. like kind of runs around very confused. And, you know, lyrically, it follows suit as being like a standalone track within the storyline. Like a lot of these songs don't move the story forward. They almost seem as if they're like pop songs in the middle of this story. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is a really weird song. I, I briefly had yeah. like a little question on our uh, Instagram story that said, what is your favorite Rocky Horror Picture Show song? I deleted it rather quickly. So we only got one, re- we only got time for one response, literally. And it was from our friend Marvin Hidalgo on uh, Instagram, who said, all the songs are bangers, except this one. <laughs> Oh, weird. Like, this is the one that could get cut out. (laughs) Right. It's like the lyrics are a little more abstract and less specific to the circumstances that are happening. Like, he's like, it's pretty much saying he's like a young, horny boy who woke up that day. You know, the sword of Damocles is hanging over my head. Uh, What is it? Uh, uh, Oh, woe is me. My life is a misery. And can't you see? I'm at the start of a pretty big downer. It's just like... He's like a young boy, he's horny, and he's waking up for the day, and he's confused. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's like, okay. You said something earlier that kind of triggered me into thinking, like, oh, wow. Like, the way he's born with all this anxiety, um, it's almost like the generations that are being born post-9-11, or like, you know, who were kids during 9-11, and there's just 
full of anxiety and they're just accustomed to chaos because of the circumstances in which they were born. And this kind of happens to Rocky, just being born as an alien lab creation. Like, that could be probably pretty um, chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's almost as if, and I'll get into this more when we uh, meet meat loaf uh eddie where it's like he almost seems to be born with maybe like half the brain function as a normal person and so so i mean that he's probably just like like a baby right he's it'd be like if like an adult baby came came out of somebody and was like just let loose like they're they're gonna be like what the hell is happening (laughs) do you think rocky's hot He's hot from the forehead down. (laughs) If he had had good hair, oh, he'd be so hot. Yeah, the body is, there's zero body fat. Zero body fat. Like negative body fat, just tone, tan, really beautiful face and eyes. It's just the hair that is a fucking bummer. It, It ruins the whole thing. So Frankenfurter wastes no time going into the the reason Rocky has come into this world. He has created Rocky to fulfill all his sexual desires in the song, I Can Make You a Man. Give us a sample. Oh, man. Um, I can make you a man. Oh, this is secretly like one of my favorite songs. <laughs> it's a really good it's, song. It's so fun. It's like full of so many innuendos. And like, and you just really find out that Frank's ultimate plan is just to fuck this hot guy he created. Like, respect. (laughs) (laughs) But this whole celebration is just ruined when (laughs) Eddie comes out of this freezer. So why is he frozen? Did he use half of his brain to create Rocky? Is that why? Yeah. What's going on here? So to me, it's always been like that. Like he was a failed experiment that he was the first attempt at making a Rocky type. And it seems like, to me, it's always been like him and Eddie, or sorry, Eddie and Rocky are supposed to be like foils of each other, like like two ends of the spectrum. And Frank's effort to like create a perfect lover, like seemed to me like Eddie was maybe the personality. He seems to be charming and, you know, everybody loves him. He gets the party Edgy. started because when, he, yeah, when he yeah. comes out in the song, everybody freaks out. Everybody's dancing. Everybody's having a good time but he's not attractive. And so I think because of that, I think Frankenfurter put him in the freezer somehow, like like cryogenically frozen, frozen. It looks like he has a cut on his head. So maybe... Because he brought... Frankenfurter does say something about... He goes, maybe I made a mistake by splitting their the brain between the two of them. Right, exactly. But Rocky is a full lab creation and Eddie was an actual like person with a life before this. He was like a delivery boy or something. I was going to ask you that because I was like, you know what? We've ne- we I was going to ask you that later, but now that you bring it up, we never get really like a backstory of Rocky. Like, do you, I think Rocky might have also been abducted, right? It oh. would make sense. We just never, we ne- we're never, a, nobody ever comes looking for him, obviously, like Dr. Scott does. Okay. I, I didn't know that. I thought Rocky was just a creation, but I thought that maybe Eddie and Columbia were more like abducted and brainwashed. There's a lot of symbolism with Columbia too that we'll get into, but it, yeah, right. it does seem like maybe he tried with Columbia and he tried with Eddie, but then he was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a little bit of each of them and I'm going to create yeah. the perfect specimen. Ooh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, cause they don't, yeah. I just always assumed that he was also like somebody they objected, but just nobody's coming to look for him. Like Dr. <laughs> Scott is. So they don't know his backstory, but I mean, maybe that's right. Maybe he is just the perfect creation. 
That probably makes more sense than him being abducted. I just assumed he was. I feel like Eddie and Columbia maybe undergone more like a MK Ultra type brainwashing <laughs> than right, like right. electroshock <laughs> or, or versus like Rocky being created maybe from like a sperm sample or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're right. That's Interesting. That... I would love to know the, the idea behind that. Yeah, for sure. So the song uh, Hot Patootie, or sometimes called Whatever Happened to Saturday Night, is like sort of like just like this bad boy anthem. You know, he's rock and roll, he's a rebel, and you know. How does it go? Hot Patootie, bless my soul! I really love that rock and roll! Oh my god, I love the Adam Lambert version. Oh my god, I love the John Stamos version. <laughs> <laughs> From Glee. Yeah. For some reason, that's all, that one is on all my Halloween playlists. Is that John Stamos one? I, I'm shocked that you don't that you don't your go to is an Adam Lambert. I mean, I love Adam, but I don't know. Yeah. Though I only really listen to one song from that uh, that TV version, and it's the the science fiction double feature by Ivy Levan. So good, so good. Oh yeah, I, so I do love this song. I think it brings a lot of rock and roll energy, which is this oh, the yeah. musical kind of has overall. But this is where it really is like rock and roll yeah and he's on his motorcycle he's bringing the party everybody's dancing everybody's enjoying it and but except for frank who's like oh he's pissed he's pissed he's pissed because he's a failed experiment and he's not hot and he wants everybody to love rocky you know and be supportive of this and everybody's so far has been like he's okay like even columbia like (laughs) that great line where when he's like asking he's like it's like he's okay and he's like Okay, (laughs) you know, so he like wants people to assure him that he's like made the best decision because he made this really hot guy. But it seems like everybody actually loves Eddie, and he's like, I can't have that. So Eddie's got to go. So he murders Eddie. I love the way that the murder of Eddie is shot, like, like Frankenfurter coming toward the camera and there's like this blood you don't really see anything but you see the trail of blood and the bloody pickaxe and um it is a little disturbing because it it, this musical up to this point has been so fun and you know thing and so this is sort of when going back into my cult theory when the leader gets out of control the cult breaks and the followers start to see the truth so i think that the murder of eddie is really becomes the crack and the foundation of how the rest of the movie unfolds especially the demise of it all or also what you what you said what you said about like control this seems like a yes. like like a t- control tactic too like if you if, if you don't live up to what i want you're gonna yes. fucking die and i'm gonna kill you and if you go against what I want, and what I want is for you all to support me and my new creation. Right. Not this motherfucker that was a failed, you know, attempt at creating something. And look what I'll do. I can do that to you, too. Like, this is where the sinister part of Frankenfurter really yes. shows its face. Where it's all been kind of kitschy and fun and sexy. And uh, now it's like, oh, wait, no, this person is murderous. And scary. Ha- and it's kind of scary. And if we don't comply to what he wants, we could be next. And now that that's out of the way now he can finally consecrate his <laughs> uh, <laughs> his sort of marriage i guess to I, I i love this part when they go into this bed chamber of the lab oh my god it's like dang, 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 dang. i love it oh my god this is unraveling let's see what happens next okay Cut to the criminologist who mentions that Brad and Janet are in trouble now as they are being led away to separate rooms for the night. 
While separated, Frankenfurter comes into Janet's bedroom, dressed as Brad, and seduces her. She fights Frank's advances at first, but then lustfully gives in. Frank then goes into Brad's room, dressed as Janet. Brad puts up a little bit of a fight, but is eventually seduced into receiving oral sex. Afterward, Janet feels frightened and used, so she goes to look for Brad. Meanwhile, Riff Raff scares Rocky, who escapes from the bedchamber and is running loose on the castle grounds. While wandering, lost and afraid, Janet encounters Rocky hiding in his tank at the lab. Seeing that he's injured, she tears her petticoat to bandage his wounds, pausing as she realizes she's aroused. The criminologist comes on and mentions the complexity of human emotions and the dangers of lust. He fades away to Magenta and Columbia, who are secretly watching Rocky and Janet via a monitor in their room. Janet tries to seduce Rocky, explaining that she used to be a virgin, but now she finds she really likes sex and wants it now. In the song, Touch a, touch a, touch a, touch me, (laughs) Rocky is more than happy to oblige. Yes, touch a, touch a, touch a, touch me. I wanna be dirty. Fill me, Jimmy, fulfill me. Do the Columbia Creature of the Night. Creature of the Night! (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's the best part. Um, (laughs) Okay, are you turned on by these silhouettes? Oh, this is the sequence of all sequences in this movie. It is. It is so brilliant. Honestly, like I said, this was a sexual awakening for me. Like Brad in this movie and this, probably this scene specifically. Oh my God, this one got me. It's sexy and you can't even see anything. But just the idea of Brad getting a blowjob from, you know, Frankenfurter. Oh, like, absolutely. Oh and when I when I did it, I got full on like ass fucked. On st- <laughs> it wasn't just a blowjob. Like I was literally like, there's my mom and my dad in the audience. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> Is what it is. <laughs> With, so, is it in the show, is it also a backlit to a Yeah, I mean, you can, yeah, I mean, that's how we did it. We had a, we brought out a screen. Yeah, so we, yeah, I think we did do it in silhouette. My favorite part of this sequence is when the wigs come off. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Honestly, yeah, I, there's so many good things like the lighting, like the differentiation of like Janet's room and Brad's and room. Yeah. yeah, but when the wigs come off. It's hilarious. And you have to think, you know, like we talked about in The Exorcist, this is, you know, the 70s. When you think about it, this was extremely raunchy for the 70s. Oh, for sure. And like super raunchy. Like by today's standards, this might be also like a little problematic, like what happens in here. Because obviously he attempts to like have sex Uh with her under like false pretenses. But, you know... For me, this almost like plays out as like a collective fantasy that three of them are having. Like they really actually want it. They're just sort of playing modest. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, those fantasies, like you're saying, yeah, those fantasies that are, you know, yes, if it were to happen in real life, sure, problematic. But in your fantasy, it can be very sexy. Sure, I was like role playing. Yeah, (laughs) yes, role playing. It's safe and role playing. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, definitely for the 70s, 
this was probably really raunchy like and especially because the fact that there's also a scene between frank and brad i think makes it like pretty risque for the time it's risque and it's like a little like that idea of like breaking that toxic masculinity or breaking the cycle of what you were conditioned to be as a man or you know or with the appendage of a penis and just breaking that into being like you know what? I am a human being with yeah. sexual desires. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I I never felt like Brad was some sort of like closet case or something like no, that. No, it's just, I think he's just like yeah. giving himself over to absolute pleasure. You know, I think he fights it at first because that's like what society has taught him to do. I, you know, I'm a man who loves my woman and blah, 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 blah. And I think a lot of heterosexual men have had this experience. Oh, pfft, absolutely. And Because I think like once he realizes that it feels good, he begins to let go, you know? Yeah. I love when Janet's like, oh, stop. I mean, help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, it's it's just kind of hot. Like, it totally turned me on when I was like a teenager. I was like, I don't even know what I'm what I'm watching, but I don't know. It gives me tinglys. <laughs> um, but yes, the silhouette scenes are very sexy, and I think it just feeds into the idea that the fantasy of sex and like the situations that can lead up to it are more arousing than than the action itself. Like sex is more animalistic, but the idea of it is more arousing. Ooh, yeah, it's definitely thrilling. So then we have Riff Raff chasing Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, just going full asshole and just burning him with candles for what seems like no reason. It kind of feeds into the Frankenstein inspiration, like oh, afraid of fire sure. and all that. But right, but then yeah, that's like, the clear reference. <laughs> why is he? Why are they doing this? And I'm like thinking maybe this is where Riff Raff and Magenta realize that Frankenfurter has gone too far in his creation with Rocky. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously they don't like Rocky. They obviously have some sort of, I think. I think because what we find out later on is that he has like perverted their whatever their mission is here on Earth. Yeah. I think they're they're obviously wary of this creature that he's created and so they've decided to they hate it and they're going to torture and torment it slash him. And yeah, they just go up and start burning him. And um also we sort of find out some really interesting things about magenta and riffraff they have this like hand gesture thing that they do with each other that is um actually referred to by i guess can't canonically it's referred to as elbow sex was what they're Uh, doing yeah and so yeah and i thought it was uh, an innocent greeting no they're fucking with their elbows (laughs) (laughs) their Their weenuses are touching Oh. Yeah, I know. And they're like brother and sister. Like, ew. Yeah, I mean, I guess they kind of do seem uh, incestuous, but... Yeah, they are. I didn't realize that they were having sex. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what it's like on, you know, transsexual Transylvania. Like, I don't... Maybe they do it differently there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Susan Sarandon giving this overacting performance as Janet. Oh! And the scene, I love it, where she's, like, biting her knuckle and turning a different way. Where, Brad, where's anybody and the way it's filmed and edited like all these different cuts and angles of her i i love this moment it's so funny so 
it's so funny and i don't even know why it's funny just like the, the dramatics of it are so good yeah so it's like she's like per- she's like performing she's like performative because i don't think she actually feels guilty she's overcompensating yeah yeah she's, yeah, she's like i can't believe this happened to me oh my god yeah what's happening where is everybody <laughs> one of the things that's missing out of the synopsis is when she turns on the monitor <laughs> And she sees of like oh. Brad and Frankenfurter after having had sex, and Frankenfurter is just sort of like chilling, laying on the bed, and Brad yeah. smoking a cigarette. Yes, and she's like, "Oh my god!" And she's like, "But then she's like feeling betrayed." I'm like, "Bitch, you literally did the same exact thing." Yes, exactly. She's like, "How could you?" But in a way, it becomes liberating for her because then she almost uses this as a permission slip to fuck Rocky. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh hey," because he's like, he's like scared and alone, and she's like, "Ooh, hmm." She's like, "What do we got here?" tasty morsel take this piece of my panties and clean your wounds (laughs) with it (laughs) (laughs) those big ass bloomer panties (laughs) oh my god i know but she looks hot like susan looks banging her body is banging when she's like fixing up his hand or whatever she like wraps it and then they what does she say like or something happens and she like kind of looks to the side (laughs) and like with her hair kind of covering her face like she's like Veronica Lake or yes. something. She looks so pretty. She's gorgeous. I was like, oh my. Yeah. Well, she's gorgeous. Like, okay. She's a gorgeous woman. She is. Um, Stunning. Isn't it kind of funny that Rocky was sort of designed to be gay, but like he's totally not into Frankenfurter, but he's really into Janet. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, his, his sexual orientation obviously leans a little different. Yeah. And than what he was designed for. Which I love because yeah. it's like the opposite of, you know, <laughs> what society yeah. thinks about homosexuality. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like flipping it on its head. Yes. Like imagine being born straight in this queer world. Ah. Uh. But I mean, touch a touch a touch a touch me. I mean, this is like her fuck the patriarchy song. Like, fuck my all this repression I've had. Yeah. Like she says in the lyrics, she's like, I've tasted blood. And I want more. Yes. My favorite part is when she goes, and if anything grows <laughs> while you pass. <laughs> I yeah. love it. My favorite lyric my favorite lyric is when she's like, it only leads to trouble and seat wedding. I'm like, ew. <laughs> not, not, not seat, seat wedding. wedding, girl. <laughs> but like she full on gets indulgent and she sleeps with a second man who is not her fiance yeah in the same night oh yeah like this is she's this, this is the sexual revolution i mean like in, if you think about like when this movie came out like the 1970s like this was the time of like swingers wife swapping key parties like <laughs> yeah. this is this orgies. is when like people were oh orgies absolutely yeah. like this is like her succumbing to that thing like we we're talking about there was the transition of them getting to the house and now they're in full-on like modern society where yeah. you know this is where the sexual revolution was you know people are free something sort of something i like to attribute it to almost is like the founding of the church of satan because it, 
really the foundation of the Church of Satan because because it was so you know much a part of the culture at this time like it came up in the 60s and like you know Jane Mansfield was a part of it and like there were like kind of like yeah. high profile people that were leaning into this and the foundation of the Church of Satan is not really even to worship the devil but it's to be able to succumb to your pleasures live your life the way you want to and it's weird that that's the foundation of it because you think it's so much more you know you think it's so evil and sinister sinister, but it's actually like be yourself liberate yourself you know get out of this but obviously it is about you know being a repressed woman and being society tells you to be this virginal perfect wife and and this is her breaking that and I love this song and I love Magenta and Columbia's parts in it too where oh, they're yeah. watching it happen. Oh my god, they're just like giggly girls. And I love that they're watching it through a monitor because it's almost like how we were discussing the silhouette scenes. Like we're watching it like they are where we're like, oh my god, more, more, more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this symbolism of Columbia wearing the Mickey Mouse ears is why I was saying that her and Eddie did um, this sort of mind control thing because I remember doing this project in college when I briefly took college classes um, that <laughs> I did the this paper on the conspiracy theory of the MK Ultra projects where like you know they use electroshock therapy and things to kind of do this mind control and change the personality of somebody and I remember reading one of the theories was or maybe this actually happened I don't know it's sort of just one big blur but where when you do that they have to reprogram you and condition you to essentially become social again Um, and, and how they do that is by showing you Disney movies. Oh. This MK this idea of MK Ultra and like reconditioning you to be something controlled. Oh, interesting. Wow. That's so yeah, so that could definitely be a reference. And if not, then it's just a a really sweet coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So now that we've touched ourselves, should we move on? <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Frankenfurter beats up Riff Raff for letting Rocky loose. Suddenly, an alarm sounds and Riff Raff informs Frank that someone is outside. They all look in a monitor and see Dr. Everett Scott, played by Jonathan Adams, in his wheelchair. Brad is happy to see him, but Frankenfurter is angry that the two know one another, recognizing Dr. Scott as a federal agent investigating UFOs, suspecting Brad and Janet are actually spies. Brad denies this, explaining that Dr. Scott is his science teacher, but Frank doesn't believe him. Meanwhile, Dr. Scott enters the castle and finds himself in the Zen room, filled with various smoldering incense. Frankenfurter takes Brad to the lab, where he turns on a powerful magnet that drags Dr. Scott in his wheelchair up to the lab. The clunk of Dr. Scott's wheelchair arrives, wakes the sleeping Janet and Rocky, who sit up in shock. Everyone in the room is frightened, confused, and hurt to see one another. Magenta suddenly appears and announces that dinner is prepared! <laughs> Attempting to handle things with grace, Frankenfurter dismisses everyone for dinner, informing them that formal attire is optional as he stomps off enraged. Everyone meets in a grand dining room for a dinner of roasted beef in honor of Rocky's birthday. Frank demands that everyone sing Rocky Happy Birthday. Shall we sing it? Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, birthday dear, dear Rocky. Rocky. <laughs> and then he just sits. <laughs> They're all, oh, oh sorry. 
it's so good and so stupid, so but it's stupid. so funny. <laughs> Dr. Scott reveals in a song called Eddie's Teddy that he's not here to investigate Frank and his household, but to look for his nephew, Eddie, who went missing and wrote him a letter serving as a cry for help. In response to this, Frankenfurter pulls the tablecloth off to reveal Eddie's hacked up body in a glass case, and they were being served Eddie for dinner. Was it rump roast? <laughs> this tastes like ass. Literally. Brad and Dr. Scott are paralyzed with terror, and Janet runs to Rocky's arms. Frank is outraged, slapping Janet. Janet runs away with Frank chasing after her while singing Planet Schmanet Janet. Janet, followed by Frank, Rocky, Brad, and Dr. Scott, end up in the lab again. Frank pulls a switch that makes everyone's feet stick to the floor, but this does not work on him, Riff Raff, or Magenta. He then flips another switch called Medusa, which turns them all to stone. Columbia comes in and tells Frank he's gone too far this time, as now people are really hurt. Frankenfurter simply responds by turning Columbia to stone, too. He then tells Riff Raff and Magenta to prepare for the floor show. Oh my god. Okay, so this is where we get Dr. Scott. We've only heard him mentioned the, this far, so now we know that he actually exists. Yeah, and he's he does exist. Wheelchair bound so sad you know what the character of dr scott in the stage show is usually played by the same character that plays eddie so oh interesting okay yeah that that would have been interesting if meatloaf played this but it's i guess maybe it's just more appropriate to get a a man of a certain age to play it (laughs) yeah yeah i and again like we said i love when his wheelchair gets um (laughs) (laughs) magneted up to um to the lab it's so funny it is so funny and that like middle eastern music that's playing because he's from this oh yeah the zen room oh when he's in the zen room which i'm like okay this is obviously like a reference to like drug culture of like the 70s and you know there's incense and there's probably hippie dippy hot grass you know. <laughs> yeah doobies in there <laughs> yeah but this is where we get more involved into the storyline of frankenfurter's you know upset that dr scott has shown up because he is um, like a secret agent that investigates ufos yeah i know how convenient First of all, that all these characters, that he knew Brad and Janet and that Brad and Janet happened to just be in this castle that he shows up at, um, where his nephew also was at one point, who is now dead. Um, It's kind of funny. It's like they're all being pulled here by some sort of force, right? Yeah. Um, But yeah, he's like, studies UFOs and that makes Frankenfurter really paranoid. He's obviously something else is going on. And then when he comes upstairs and wakes uh, wakes up Janet and Rocky who are resting after a a night filled of sex, Um, (laughs) which, oh, one of the things I forgot to mention is that when the camera is panning down the tank showing Brad and Janet, or sorry, showing Janet and Rocky getting it on, the colors of the rainbow like flashing on Janet's face is so good. I forgot to mention that. So when we, when they jump up, we get that really iconic moment where, yes, say it for us. Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky. They do it like four times, and it's funny every time to me. Oh, yes. It's funny every single time. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's so <laughs> funny. I also have to mention real quick that this is my favorite um, Frankenfurter look. 
I'm obsessed with that leather jacket with the oh, it's amazing with all the pins. And, oh, all the pins uh, and um, accoutrement. Accoutre who? Who's coochie? <laughs> and someone's coochie on it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to dinner, and okay, is this dinner scene inspired by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't know, because those came out obviously very close to each other. I'd be very surprised if either one was able to be influenced by one another. This literally looks like the dinner scene from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I mean, the scene is not in the show. So if that's the case, then if the movie came out after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie came out, then that would make sense. I, I think so, because Texas Chainsaw came out in 1974. And so, and this movie came out in 76? Is that what? Five? I mean, so maybe it's possible they could have, on the fly, said, oh my god, let's do a little Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment. I think so, they could have done that. It's even like them eating Eddie. Like, that all like plays into yeah. that like idea. So, yeah. So this is where we find out Dr. Scott is Eddie's uncle in the song Eddie's Teddy. Yeah. How does that go? When Eddie said he didn't like his teddy, you knew he was a no good kid. But when he threatens your life with a switchblade knife, what a cry makes you cry. And I did. <laughs> Everybody love him. <laughs> your impression of Columbia is spot on. <laughs> Yeah, so this song, basically just a little more backstory on Eddie. You know, he's a troubled teen. He was into motorcycles and porn. And (laughs) now he's missing. And, you know, I think just like seeing all their reactions to Eddie is interesting. Because like we have a sort of a spectrum of it. We have like Columbia, who's like broken hearted. And Frank, who's completely uninterested in Eddie. And then we have like Janet, who seems like really empathetic. Well, she was kind of giving Eddie eyes when she first saw him like he kind of came up to her and she goes she does this like up and down and then like a little like shy you know like flirty look she's into it yeah she doesn't like a man with too many muscles yeah she likes the meaty from brad's bulge to eddie's stomach (laughs) (laughs) meaty (laughs) so then we have this uh this moment where frank pulls off the uh the tablecloth (laughs) and you see like eddie's body in there and apparently according to legend that was not planned or at least they didn't tell the cast and so the reaction is genuine like Susan Sarandon screaming and running because uh, they didn't tell them that there was a dead body under there but I'm like that's hilarious because that shit looks so fake I wouldn't have screamed and ran away but I think even leading into this when they're like Eddie that's a rather tender subject oh yeah does anyone want any more and then Columbia like realizes it and she's like Ah! Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, they've been eating Eddie the whole time. This glass table is Gross. fierce, though. What a, what an amazing prop. Seriously, that is yeah. I want one. Yeah, <laughs> the aesthetic of this movie overall is just great. Like it's like sort of like muted tones, but then we have these like pops yeah. of red throughout. I love it. Totally, totally. So then we get to Planet Schmanet Janet. Um, which I really like. This is just sort of Frank being fed up with Janet's annoying bullshit. He pretty much just like berates her for being unsexy and being hysterical. You better wise up, Janet Weiss. 
Your apple pie, it don't taste too nice. <laughs> oh, that's a big insult. Like, she's already given yeah. it to, like, two characters at this point, and it doesn't taste good? That's not good. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I'm so sad for her, um, for her apple pie. Oh, my God. I like when he says, you're as sensual as a pencil. I'm like, oh, that's so rude. Look, I have a pencil in my hand. Uh, this isn't sexy. Janet? Oh. <laughs> Janet, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> so then we also get the second half of the song now, which is um, actually called Planet Hot Dog. Oh, great. Which th- that <laughs> that name is completely nonsensical, but I love it. I mean, who doesn't love hot dogs and mustard? And they sing about mustard. <laughs> I actually love that these songs throughout, like, they're all one song, but because they transition into different, like melodies and lyrics yeah and choruses that they just become different songs they have different titles yeah but it's like all one track <laughs> yeah plan hot dog <laughs> which is don't get hot and flustered use a bit of mustard you're a hot dog but you better not try to hurt her frank better <laughs> obviously is nonsensical but like this is frank who is like now gonna execute his master plan which is to put on this floor show and he like uses this machine this transducer to uh you know magnetize them to the floor in the show though he uses like a gas that he sprays in their face which i was reading had a lot was like maybe a reference to like lsd which would make sense which makes more sense than turning them into statues i'm like it makes makes sense that they're like less inhibited and more willing to participate in the floor show if they're like under the influence of some sort of heavy hallucinogenic or you know opiate or something it also makes rose tint my world make a little more sense they should have done that yeah they should have done they should have done the gas i don't i mean i don't know why they did the statue but the gas i think it was better let's finish it off Frank prepares the statues for the floor show by applying makeup to them and dressing them up in lingerie. One by one, Columbia, Rocky, Brad, and Janet are unfrozen, and they each sing about how they've changed since entering Frankenfurter's universe in the song, Rose Tint My World. Columbia describes the innocent and fun beginnings of her escapades with Frank. She sings that it was when Frank started working on Rocky that morals were blurred and things grew out of hand. She sings about how the only thing that got her through it was her love of a certain dope. Rocky sings that he's only had seven hours of life. (laughs) I'm just seven hours old. (laughs) Truly beautiful to behold. So he loves to orgasm and he can't control his desires. Brad sings a different melody, casting a negative light on the trance he's in, while Janet sings of the same trance in a positive light. Frankenfurter takes the stage, shifting the tone by singing, Don't Dream It, in which he laments about wanting to be as beautiful as Fay Ray and King Kong. And instead of dreaming about it, he gave in to his desires. A swimming pool appears on stage, and Frankenfurter starts an orgy in the pool as they all continue to sing the words, Don't Dream It. Be he yes. Oh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Dr. Scott is accidentally turned back to normal and realizes that the castle is a trap and everyone should run while they still are sane enough to escape. After the orgy, Frankenfurter sings a song praising his wild and untamed household in the song Wild and Untamed Thing. Ma, 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 ma. <laughs> Ma, 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 
mama, I'm a wild and an untamed thing. And the beast with a deadly sting. And something, something in your heart goes bling. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> bling. <laughs> Bling bling. I got on my bling bling. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> this song, however, is interrupted by Riff Raff and Magenta, now wearing intergalactic uniforms and armed with laser ray guns. Riff Raff informs Frank that his mission was a failure due to Frank being coming too extreme. He declares that Frank is now his and Magenta's prisoner, as he has been made commander. He orders their return to Sweet Transsexual in the galaxy in Transylvania, where they will do the time warp again. Frank is happy and begins to sing about how long he's been wanting to go back to the homeland he was exiled from in the song, I'm Going Home. On the day I went away. I love that song. It's anyway. so good. Because <laughs> I've seen all blue skies through the tears in my eyes. <laughs> and I realize I'm going home. <laughs> oh my God. I was enchanted by that. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. That was so good. Your, your impressions are <laughs> just always spot on. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Riff Raff explains that only he and Magenta are going home. Frank and, <laughs> Frank and Furter is to be killed. He points his laser gun at Frank, but Columbia screams in an attempt to save him. Riff Raff quickly kills Columbia by shooting her with lasers. Riff Raff then kills Frank as he tries to run away. Rocky, seeing his creator fall, grabs Frank and climbs the set in the background of the stage, crying in rage and pain. It takes several shots from the ray gun, but Rocky is killed and falls into the swimming pool. Riff Raff orders Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott to leave while they still can. Brad and Janet carrying Dr. Scott escape just as the castle explodes and flies away into the night sky. (laughs) Dr. Scott, Janet, and Brad watch as the castle flies away into space. If you're watching the UK version, the three of them sing one final song about the loss of innocence called Superheroes. I've done a lot, God knows I tried to find the truth, I even lied. Oh my God. But all I know is inside I'm dreaming or something like that. Oh my god, beautiful. The criminologist comes back one last time saying, and crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race, lost in time and lost in space and meaning. Meaning! (laughs) (laughs) The end. The top of this scene is the floor show. I love the floor show. I love every moment of it. I love every song, every lyric. Every line. Yeah, absolutely. This is like when they are like fully realized sexual creatures. The lyrics about how they're like, they've abandoned their repression in exchange for sexual liberation. Yes, yes. I love the way Brad grabs his leg and he's like, Oh, I, 
that literally was the next thing I would say. Brad's leg is like work. <laughs> he's like, at first he's like, he's fighting it. He's like actively fighting, like giving it, like loving his body and you know, <laughs> and then, but then he's like, hold on, wait, I can look how high I can lift my leg. Ooh, it can go higher. It can go higher. Yeah, yeah it's hot. It's hot. His, his nice legs and he can dance, which I cannot say the same for Miss Rocky because oh his dancing is atrocious i also feel like he can't sing because i don't think that this is his voice <laughs> this isn't his voice okay. and i'm like wait i'm like wait a minute you can hire anybody you want to perform you hire this singer this singer sucks too. <laughs> i mean he's like okay he's like fine but like yeah if you have the choice of anybody yeah. pick somebody who can really sing i guess it doesn't matter it's rocky but. Yeah, but I love um, Columbia opening the floor show. Oh my gosh. Yeah, since she said nipples out. I don't care. <laughs> and the only thing that gives me help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love her, her verse. I love it. And then um, then I, I actually really love Janet's verse on this too. She's like, uh, I feel released. Like she is just living for herself now. Yes. Just the oh, way she yeah. moves and when she blows that kiss and winks. At the end. Oh yeah, she's like, my confidence has increased. increased. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then we got Frankenfurter, big entrance, grand entrance, of course. Oh, it's so epic. It's like, ugh, it's so good. But like him like being like the master of the ceremonies, like it's almost like really beautiful. You know, this part where he talks about, you know, these like glamorous actresses like Faye Ray, whom he wants to like emulate as like yes. a young queer person. That's like so relatable. It's like so relatable. Every lyric of don't dream it, be it is just, it's empowering. It's, um, it almost like Frankenfurter becomes your leader in this. Yeah. Uh, as a queer person, you're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. That was my experience. Yes, and then to see that Frank has fully embraced, like, the glitz and the glam, you know, it's just, like, it's so inspiring. You're like, oh, my God, he's done it. He's embraced that side of him. He is fully living his truth. Yes. Um, and it's and it's really inspiring for, like, a young queer person to see. So, like, as ridiculous and over-the-top and crazy as this movie is, it does have, like, a really profound influence on young queer people watching it. Or just young oh. or old just queer people in general. Absolutely. And I mean, he is still technically the villain of this piece. Um, cause you know, still good for him for going for it. Whatever happened. I love his. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to Faye <laughs> That delicate satin drape frame. <laughs> I know when he goes, and I started to cry. Uh, oh, I so started. Good. I want to cry when he sings. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's true. Uh, I, we all have that. We all ha- we've all seen those beautiful, glamorous women, and for some re- reason, we uh, we relate to them, or we like. Them. We're, we're we're enchanted, enchanted, entranced by those women. Yes, and really, those kind of women, especially the over the top ones, glitz and glam, are really um, you know the godmothers of the queer community. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when Doctor Scott comes back to normal. Okay, legs. Oh, no, he said, I have legs too, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Pull the throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yeah, he said, I, and I love how they dressed him too. They're like, oh, let's give him something sexy. To I love that on. he removes that blanket, and there he is. Oh yeah, just legs for days. Love it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> um, and then the pool orgy. I mean, this is just a full-on dream sequence at this point. And apparently, it was incredibly cold on set the entire time. That Yikes. fucking Susan Sarandon got pneumonia from fil- from filming this shit. Oh fuck! I just love this scene of like, I just love the them underwater and like just rubbing all up against each other. And I love that their their heels have come off, so they're just floating around them. Oh yeah, <laughs> their makeup is all fucking all horrendous up. and and fucking running down their face, and they're just making out with each other. They don't care. They don't, they don't care about that stuff. It's about yeah. feeling, and they're in the moment. It's interrupted by uh, Riff Raff and Magenta, who are intergalactic lingerie-wearing aliens. They look like they just stepped off the set of Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. <laughs> <laughs> they literally look like they just stepped out of the oven as baked potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> And that laser ray gun. I do love that they fashioned it after that pitchfork that he had yes. as the American Gothic character. And then they just like train changed it. And now he has that as that. That's so yeah. awesome. I, I just love this whole turnaround. And um, Magneta's um, Bride of Frankenstein hair. <laughs> so good. Oh, I know. What a, what a great reference. Like if we're just going to reference it, let's just be obvious. And I love it. And they look, they look fierce. They look, I think they look sexier than they do in their in their costumes they are more iconic for. I love these. You see like like even like Riff Raff was like wearing like a strappy thong. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. And his hair and his, his scorpion ponytail. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's so cute. But um they're like, we're out of here. We gotta go. Frankenfurter being the narcissist that he is, he's like, oh great. Finally, I get to go home, and he sings a full-on song. A beautiful one. Oh, so beautiful. Probably one of my... This is maybe my actual favorite song this show. Um, I don't know why. It's just... It's so beautiful. It is. Anytime I'm going home anywhere, I'm like, I'm going home. Like, I think about it all the time. (laughs) In the car ride home. Yeah, literally. Yeah. From work. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't have that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm staying home. <laughs> I got no job. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, this is his Broadway star moment. He's like, you know, spot single spotlight. Yes. An audience appears. Oh, of course. I'm like, who are these people? I was like, are these like dead people that he's <laughs> who are they? Who are these ghosts? But they're cheering him on. So this is where we learn that Transylvania is a galaxy and transsexual is a planet within this galaxy. What what other planets do you think are in this galaxy? Yeah. Translucent. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Translucent. <laughs> Dr. Frankenfurter, he wanted to be Faye Rank King Kong so badly. And finally, he gets to really be her. And Rocky is his King Kong. We have this great um, moment that's a callback to King Kong where Rocky takes Frankenfurter and climbs that RKO radio tower in the background. And uh, he's like, yeah. And like, honestly, you come to find out that Rocky does love him. That, you know, at the end of the day, he's his creator, he's his maker. He wouldn't even be here if it weren't for the work Frank put in and the love, if you can call it that, that he, um, re- that was required for him to be created. And so I think that Rocky really did love, love Frank. And, yeah. you know, it is probably, re- 
It's like your parent being killed, you know, in front of you. Yeah. So then uh, Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott escape. And I love this shot of them watching the castle, which I guess was a spaceship flying back to Transylvania. And I love Dr. Scott in his little pantyhose just staring up at the, <laughs> as the smoke clears and we get a good look at yes. him. <laughs> yeah, and they go back. I mean, again, we never really got a clear idea of what their mission was. Like, <laughs> why were they there in the first place? But we did have a little bit of a switch, you know, where, um, which I guess this is a really big trope of like 50s sci-fi films was like the servant becoming the master okay there was like a creepy servant and then at the end they sort of take over you know and so it's i think it's a callback to that and unfortunately frank was a is a threat to not only humankind but everybody because he's so he's such like a narcissist and he's so willing to use other people to fulfill his own fantasies that uh there's too much disruption he's too much of a liability for whatever their mission was supposed to be and so he couldn't come along maybe they were just supposed to abduct people and experiment i mean i guess or maybe they weren't supposed to do that at all maybe they're just (laughs) supposed to observe maybe Maybe. they're just supposed to observe humankind and he was implementing him too much by killing humankind Uh, okay maybe yeah like their presence there wasn't observational anymore it was uh it started to be coming hands-on and people start dying and they're like wait a minute this is not what we came here for we came here to dance and be sexy and i don't know and you know, you know. <laughs> and do the time warp yeah and do the time warp and i really love this final conclusion this ending Me where too. the criminologist says you know the insects called the human race that are just lost in time lost in space and meaning because once they go up into space i mean it's like you're just this little grain of sand and yeah. the galaxies and all that right um i like it because like the ultimate message of what seemingly is a nonsensical plot is actually that we're all just humans navigating and organizing ourselves because we're lost yeah. in time space and meaning and we're trying to find ourselves and our purpose through love and sex and worship and experiences and those experiences change us and they become a part of us and they shape us And then we continue to live our normal lives, but with a new sense of being, which is what these characters go through. Totally. So I love that. Yeah, because how are Brad and Janet ever going to be able to go back to who they were? Like, they've seen too much now. They've done too much now. And they're almost like representing, like we said before, society. Yeah. It's like once once society was introduced to these ideals that we could be so much more than the box we put ourselves in, how can we ever go back? And, and so we have to live in these experiences. We have to embrace them. And the sooner that we embrace them instead of fighting them, the happier we'll be. It, it definitely still sort of leaves you with that, that sci-fi trope of some sort of bigger question, some existential meaning, which I'm glad that they did because it really feels like it concludes like a trite and true sci-fi film. So what are your final thoughts on Rocky Horror? Oh my God. This is just one of my favorite movies ever. I mean, this whenever this movie's on, it's like an event for me. Like I wait so long for October to come so I can really get into my Rocky Horror-ness. I listen to the music all October long. It's brought me some incredible memories just from being in the show and then watching the show. I've gone to, you know, a shadow cast of it one time where, you know, famously, like, people perform in front of the movie screen and you, like, dress up. I've been to one of those and it was so much fun. And it's just such a... It's just such an experience that I just treasure. 
you know, I can watch this movie a million times or perform this a million times, and I don't think I'll ever get sick of it. You know, it's campy, it's rock and roll, it's just filled with good times, and it's so bizarre and such like an underground pop culture staple. Like, how can yeah. you not just give yourself over to absolute pleasure? Absolutely. That's what this is. It's the absolute pleasure of it all for me. So, 10 out of 5. Oh my god. The highest score you've given yet. Highest ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that this movie is completely bananas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. You know, a lot of it doesn't make sense, but I get it and I appreciate it. Um, I love the queer elements that honestly like we said at the beginning, have given queer kids for generations a place, a safe place to escape to. The music is fun. They made the most of their budget in this. I mean... Totally. Honestly, I think the direction as like a... being a satire of a certain subgenre of film is really great. Um, It's a fun watch. The set design, the lighting, the effects are great. The cast is amazing. Even though, you know, not all of them are great... Uh, singers, we forgive them because this movie is just so special. It's a special movie. It is. It's super special. I think you really do have to give yourself over to absolute pleasure to really enjoy it because you do kind of have to ignore who you are and what you're taught is a good movie yeah. to really sink into this and understand it and appreciate it. Yeah. So it takes a special community and a special person to appreciate it. I would give this, um, just because there are some like things that I'm like, okay, what? A four and a half out of five. Okay, that's fair. All right, so that concludes Rocky Horror. The curtain is closed. The cast has taken its final bow. And um, yeah, on to the next one next week. So exciting. Halloween is in full swing. October is killing it. Of course, for October, we did our voting on Instagram. And the listeners chose Rocky Horror Picture Show over Repo the Genetic Opera. So shout out to Repo. (laughs) One day we will do that as an episode. Yeah, we gotta do it. People seem to want it. Like, it's not that it didn't have any votes. It had some, so. Yeah. Um, and so next week was uh, our category is witches, and we are doing Hocus Pocus. And this <laughs> this is where Halloween is really starting to get into Fear the Talking Queers because we have three Halloween movies in a row. Get your costumes on. Get your, your little Halloween cocktails ready because we're going to bring it to you for Hocus Pocus. Ooh, I can't wait. Me too. So follow us on Instagram at Fear the Talking Queers. We're always open to conversation message us comment like follow and then don't forget to visit us on www.fearthetalkingfears.com where you'll soon be able to uh, have access to these little cocktail recipes that we've created as well as um some of our drinking games you can learn a little bit more about us and you can even uh, subscribe to donate and support uh, this little podcast that we have going on here absolutely and of course leave us a review wherever you listen if you're able to leave a review Apple Podcasts I know there are a few other places where you can leave reviews leave us a review let us know how we're doing Uh, give us five stars yes give us five stars and we will give you five dollars just kidding just kidding give us five Five dollars and five stars. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> and we'll give you a high five. <laughs> That's right. There we go. There we go. All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening. <clears throat> I'm gonna sing this. Sweet screams, bitch.
Bye. <laughs> <laughs>